we have three letters to go in this series, and I and by the way, I like all, I love all of them, but there's a few of them that I go, I read it. The first thing I do on Monday morning, or maybe during the day or, or after work, I, I read the scripture I'm going to preach the next Sunday, and I, I some of them I look at, I go, yes, I like that one. It automatically makes me excited about it. Um, if you ever preached or taught, there's certain lessons that you go, I like, I like that because you don't have to work on getting excited about talking about it. And so it is a hard one because it's, it's challenging. Jesus doesn't pull no punches. He doesn't, he doesn't, uh, give them a, a pat on the head or the back before he gives them the correction. He just goes right for it. And he takes it very serious what he's talking about. So we're actually doing a series through the book of Revelation, chapter two and three. We've mentioned chapter one, but, um, my challenge to you is that you would read all of them on your own time, chapter one, two, and three. We could study the rest of the book of Revelation at some point. Um, but it's very powerful how Jesus decided to open up the book of Revelation, these letters to these specific churches. And there's seven churches that are, uh, represented in Asia Minor, modern day Turkey. These were very important cities right on the trade route to go to Greece and to go to Rome, uh, even more to the West. This was the way you had to go. And so these were very important. And people were starting to become Christians. And then over time in the first century, um, like any church, you start to drift away from what God really wants from you. I mean, I don't know, you don't have to raise your hand, but have you ever as a Christian, as a Christ follower, at any part of your life, have you started to drift away from what God wants? I would say yes whether it be his love or his love for other people or the, you know, I, I used to pray a lot. Now I don't pray as much or I, I used to be in the word like I couldn't, I just love it. Now it seems like I'm less and less and less. Well, he's going to be dealing with that when it comes to the church in, uh, let me make sure it's the right church. It is the church in uh, Sardis. Every time I think of Sardis, I think of Sardine. The church in Sardine, the church that loves sardines, but Sardis We've already done Ephesus and Smyrna and Pergamum and Thyatira and Sardis. Next week, we're traveling to Philadelphia, rooting for the Eagles. No, we're not. The Phillies, although baseball's already over. And then we'll go to Laodicea. The last two, especially Laodicea, you're going to recognize Laodicea. It's the time when Jesus says that you're lukewarm. Your love for me is lukewarm. Now, if, you, if you're lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. little spoiler, it's not just going... It's vomiting. I'm going to vomit you out of him. So Jesus uses some crude language. Um, not me. He, he just, he uses crude language for that church. And one way or the other, you can learn that Jesus is very serious through these letters. He doesn't take sin lightly and he doesn't take, he doesn't desire to be second place in any of our lives. And so I'm challenged myself. So we've been going through the series. We've done four. We've talked about Ephesus, returning to your first love. If you haven't listened to these, then you might want to go on there. And and uh, I re- I recognize last week I went a little long, so it, you can put comments if you want. And this guy is a bag of air or something like that. I recognize myself that I went a little long last week. And so um, Smyrna, remember God's faithfulness. Pergamum, refusing to compromise in a sinful world, which we do, and we live in a sinful culture. We refuse to compromise and just kind of whatever, whatever, that's no big deal. Then Thyatira was a very vital um, topic. It was that the, the devil doesn't want to just leave you alone. When you make the right choice for God, especially when you make the right choice for God, there's going to be this attack from the enemy, not 
not filling you up and making you a puppet like you can't control yourself, but he will prod you and poke you and, and mock you and whisper in your ear and try to sway you. And he's trying to sway this entire church, Thyatira. And Jesus said, you need to humble yourself before me. You need to receive my will for you and you need to resist the enemy and he will flee, right? So if you're, if the devil's not fleeing from you, you're not either humbling yourself. I'm not humbling myself to God in his ways and, and, and submitting to him. And I'm not resisting the enemy. I need to be very strong in this. This one is, this next one is a little bit different. It's wake the dead church. Okay. Wake the dead church. That's the topic of today. Um, Sardis was a great church in history, but at the moment that Jesus writing this letter, they exist in just doing the things for God alone. They, they're not really alive in their heart. How many of us know you can do things for the Lord and not really mean it and your heart's dead? You can go through ministry. You can go through uh, loving people. You can give. You can do whatever. And if you don't have the right heart for it, Jesus goes, you're dead. You're dead. So everybody say, wake the dead church. Wake the dead church. Some people would say asleep. Okay, and the reason why is because the Bible, when it talks about death, they often use the word sleep. Okay, so whether it's wake the sleeping church or wake the dead church, I want you to know for Sardis, it wasn't that they were just kind of sitting back and just going, ah, whatever. They were dead. They were dead. There was a little remnant. And did you know that any church or any life, if there's a remnant of life inside you, there's hope. Even if it's just a sliver even if there's the love that you have and you had for God once is now cold, if you have a little sliver of love, then you have a hope that God can revive you. And so we're talking about the word revive. Everybody say revive. This is going to be good because God is asking the church around the nation to wake up. And I think about the church at least, I'm thinking about the church in Europe, the church in Canada, both of those churches are way far away from where they used to be 20 years ago, okay? They're more far gone than actually the United States of America is, but we're not far behind, okay? And I, I could give you reasons why I believe that those that Europe and Canada have both swayed away from God's word and will. But as a country, United States of America, we have some churches that they seemed on the appearance of all things that they're healthy, Sometimes appearances can deceive you. It's only what Jesus really says about you in the church and your life and your marriage and your finances. If he says you're dead, you can look the part, but if you're dead, if he says you're dead, we got to stop and recognize it for what it is. So that's what we're going to be dealing with today. Just a slight little serious talk that we're going to have today, right? You guys ready? Right? A couple of us, the rest of us, just hang on, buckle up. Revelation chapter 3, because it is hard. Verse 1, write this letter to the angel of the church in Sardis. This is going to be a little confusing for just a moment. I'll admit this. This is the message from the one who has the sevenfold spirit of God. The Greek translation says the seven spirits of God. How many of you guys know what that means? The seven spirits of God. Okay? At the outset, you look and go, so now there's seven Holy Spirits. Hold on. That's not the main point of this. 
but I thought that was interesting. He is, the, this translation, they, they put the sevenfold spirit of God or the seven spirits of God. And he's the one with the seven stars. I know, here it is. Here's the encouragement, but the encouragement is not really encouragement here. He's just going right for it. He goes, guess what? Bad news, bad news. Here we go. You guys ready for some bad news? It says, I know all the things that you do. Okay, so they're doing stuff. They're not just, they're not literally just leaning back going, okay, what, what, what do we do? He says, I know all the things that you do and you have a reputation for being alive. Everybody says, this is a great church. Everybody says, wow, have you ever been guilty of this? Wow, that church is a huge church. They must be alive. Or vice versa. Look at that small, tiny church. They must be dead. You ever been guilty of that? Yes, say yes. Okay, we assume by numbers, everything's either going great or not. We've all seen big churches with a lot of people are unhealthy. We've also seen small churches that are unhealthy. But the flip is true as well. Sometimes you've seen a small church that's small numerically, but it's very powerful. We'll talk about that. What really makes a church really healthy and makes alive? Okay, this church had a reputation of being alive. Why? Because if you drove past this church and you visited, you, you looked in the door, you're like, whoa, that's an alive church. Now, in your own mind, start putting in the pieces here. What makes a church alive? What makes a church dead? What is it that they're doing or not doing that's making them dead or alive? Okay, because this church, they were doing stuff. I know all the things that you do. Everybody say do. Okay, I know what you do, but you're dead. Okay, you have a reputation of being alive. How many of you guys know that reputation, you can have a good reputation and a bad reputation, and that doesn't always matter. It's what God says about you. If God were to say to me, Joel, you're doing all this preaching, but you're dead, I'd be like, okay, Lord, what do I do? What do I do? But you're dead. Okay, this church, God's saying, the church in Sardis, and he says it to us, but he says to Sardis, my bride in Sardis, my bride who I love, you're dead. You're saying you're full of life. You're saying you're alive. But if you look inside your spirit, if you look inside your heart, you are full of dead man's bones. But your outside looks great. That's all it is. It looks and appearance is great, but you're dead. Verse two. So what do you do? What do you do if you're asleep? What do you do if you're dead? You wake up. That's as simple as possible. What do you do if you're asleep and God says, wake up? You wake up. You notice that, hey, I'm not supposed to be doing this. He says, wake up. Everybody say, wake up. Tell your neighbor to wake up. Say, hey, Pastor Joel can see if you're sleeping or not. Trust me, okay? Um, That's a joke. Not really, but it kind of. Strengthen what little remains. See, they have a sliver. They have a sliver of hope. For even what's left is almost dead. Listen to me. I want to give you a little hope in the middle of a letter that is just terrible. This thing that's almost dead isn't quite dead. It has a little bit of hope left. It doesn't have long, but it has right now. Okay, this is almost 2,000 years ago. So it's a little too late for Sardis. The church is long gone. But for us, you who are here in the church, you are he, who are online watching this, there is still time. Maybe not tomorrow, maybe not next 10 years, but there's time right now to recognize that 
It's almost dead. Here's a scary verse right here. Here's a scary part of this. I find that your actions do not meet the requirements of my God. Really? Huh? Listen, you go into God's presence when you're dead, and he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Or he's going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. So this one right here, you, I, he, he points to the church, he goes, you know what? I find that your deeds, which is another, another translation, I find that your deeds are not good enough. I find what you're doing is not the right thing. So this church, while they're doing good things, it's not the right thing. It's not the biblical thing. What are we supposed to focus on, church? We're going to talk about that. Don't try to cheat. Don't try to answer the question before I even get there. But that means that a church can actually be doing some things for, for God in the name of Jesus, but they're doing the wrong things. Or they're doing it in the wrong heart. Because their heart was dead. What's more important, the doing part of the ministry or your heart? I'll tell you from experience. When I was in college, I went to college because I felt the Lord pulled me in that direction to do ministry. But then ministry, I started doing ministry because I felt like I had to. I lost the heart for it. And I didn't want to give up, even though I did every every Wednesday night after youth group, I said, I want to give up. I'm done. Anybody ever been there? You lead a group or you're teaching or something and you're like, I'm done. Can I quit from now and then I'll, 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 I'll re- can you rehire me next Wednesday? I always said that. Rehire me next Wednesday. But Thursday morning rolled around. I want to be done. Okay. This, the only reason why I did the ministry in college, especially college, was because I felt I'm spending a lot of money at college. College isn't cheap. And supposedly the school I went to, it is out of control. No offense to them. Ours was cheap compared to them to it right now. But the reality is the only reason why I kept going is because I didn't want to tell my pastor, I don't feel like doing this anymore. So how dangerous, how, how dangerous is it to live that way? Not in just ministry, but just life. I'm only loving this individual because the Lord told me to, but my heart's not in it. I've been there, done that. Lord, you told me to do this. I'm doing it. I'm doing it kicking and screaming. I might not be showing it to people, but my heart's kicking and screaming because I don't want to offend some Christian, okay? I find that your actions, your deeds, the things that you do, do not meet the requirements of my God. In other words, it's not the right things. Verse three, go back to what you heard and believed at first. Hold to it firmly. That really reminds me of the letter to the church in Ephesus. The book in the, the, the letter to Ephesus had the exact same thing. Do what you did at first. You've drifted away from it, they said. Repent and turn to me again. What does that mean? This church literally doesn't serve God. Period. They're doing things in the name of Jesus, but they're not serving him. What's more important? Going through the motions for the Lord or actually serving the Lord, actually making about him. It is not just going through the motions. Oh. I don't like this next part. I've been dreading this next line. Because it sounds very similar to when Jesus is going to return the second time. He's going to come back like a thief in the night. This is not what he's talking about. But he says, if you don't wake up, I, 
who's I, Jesus, I will come to you suddenly as unexpected as a thief. I'm not going to warn you that I'm going to come into your church. And what's he going to do? He's going to do what he said in the book of uh, the, the letter to the Ephesians. He said, I'm going to remove your lampstand, which means your light. My light isn't even shining through you. Ephesus could be called the dead church. It doesn't say that in the heading of the Bible. This one says it's the dead church. But Ephesus could be this. I'm going to remove your lampstand, and I'm going to bring judgment upon you. Does God bring judgment to the church? You better believe it. Now, my goal isn't that we sit here and start quivering and shaking, and I don't feel like I'm a Christian. If I, if I, if I die right now, before I even go to my car, will I even go to heaven? That's not the point. My point is the current condition of your heart. Verse 4, yet, I love this part, there's still a sliver of hope. Yet there are some, some, a few. There's a, there's a remnant. And every church that's got a remnant has a glimmer of hope. You cannot give up. If you have a glimmer of hope in the church, Jesus can raise that church back to the, from, from the dead. Those in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes with evil, they're pure. Who's going to talk about clothed in white in just a moment? But he is, they have not soiled their clothes with evil. They walk, they will walk with me in white for they're worthy. Why? Because they're pure before God. We'll talk about at the end, how do you even get to that point where you're dead, but now you're alive? When you're alive, you're pure. You're not soiled with sin. Verse five. All who are victorious will, will be clothed in white. I will never, I will never, I will never erase their names from the book of life. If you are a Christian, and for some reason, the only way that we can, quote, get our names erased from the book of life, you walk away from God and say, I don't want this. But if you're fighting and you're scratching and you're clawing and you're saying, Lord, I am, I, I need you, Lord. I need you more. I haven't been doing what you're asking me to do. I, I, I know my deeds have not been matching up and lining with your will, Lord. But right now I recognize where I'm at and I need you. Jesus goes, your name obviously is still in the Lamb's book of life. Boom. So we don't have to, you know, I, I won't preach about eternal security, but one thing I don't believe in, eternal insecurity. Uh, uh, I used to go to bed like all those unspoken sins that I haven't said yet. I need, to, I need to talk about that one and that one and that one. Then I can go to bed in case I die in my sleep. But I will announce before my father and his angels that they are, say, mine. They're mine. The church is mine. Verse 6. He says this at the very end of every letter. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit. Listen to who? The Spirit. And understand what he is saying to the churches. I've said this a lot. I'll say it again. This is a teachable spirit. Be teachable. Don't, you don't know everything. Be okay with correction that God's bringing to each one of us. If I'm not right with God in some aspect of my life, I need to be teachable. Not, I already know everything. Lord, why are you reminding me of this? I already know that. It's like one of the first youth groups I ever led. <laughs> I've said this before. I was like, I had this wonderful point to preach. And I was like, 
And this girl, she raised her hand somewhere in the back of the youth room. She goes, I already learned that when I was in kids' church back in elementary school. I'm like, what am I even teaching then? And I was like, oh, you're one of those Christians that know everything. Okay, teach me. Here. I was like, help me. I was like, I don't, I don't know. I'm, this is brand new to me, right? But we need to be teachable. So Jesus is calling the Sardis church the dead church. The dead church. And I would say when it comes to the church in the United States of America, there are some good churches. They're healthy churches. They're biblical churches. So I'm not going to throw those in there. But there are churches who have swayed one way or the other. They have got, wandered away from the word of God. They've wandered away from the will of God. They're doing great things. They're doing things that seem right. But how many of us know there are things that seem right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. That's Proverbs. I'm just throwing that out because I always think it's Proverbs 14.12, if I remember right. Just throw, I don't know, I think, I think it is, but the reality is we need to realize that if the United States of America church is dead, we need to declare that God wants to bring life to each and every congregation in this country. He wants to, so as the culture, as the culture goes more this way or that way, we as the church need to stand up, we need to repent of not standing strong for God when the culture needs a church and they might hate us for it, that's fine, but they, we need to stand up for Jesus in a culture that says, don't offend anybody. You, you want to know what the problem with Sardis really was? I want you to notice something about Sardis that was not mentioned in this letter that was in the rest of them. All four that we've studied so far said either you're suffering, you're going through trials, or Satan's attacking you, or the culture's attacking you. All of them had that. Did you notice that never say anything about suffering in this one? They weren't suffering. Satan wasn't attacking them. The culture never attacked them. It didn't say anything about suffering. Why? Because they were dead. Satan doesn't need to go, a dead church? He goes, they've already taken care of themselves. They don't need me to help them. And the culture left them alone. Why? In the first century, if you were a church and you were a Christian and you stood up for Jesus, they said, renounce him now or you're going to go to prison and probably die. These people weren't going to prison and dying. These people were living. Why? Because the culture, when you offend the culture, they're going to not like you. And the gospel, when you preach the gospel, when you talk about Jesus, even the love of Jesus especially that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. That's offensive. That's very offensive. So if we don't even stand up for Jesus in our culture, guess what? They're going to leave you alone. They're going to leave you alone. That's what they did in Sardis. We need to rise up. We need Jesus to rise up the church and breathe new life in us. So what happens? The church in Sardis gets a... Huge rebuke. How many of us want the rebuke of Jesus in your life? Now, I want to say this. When Jesus rebukes the church, he's always doing it in love because he's saying, I'm offering you this. He's offering time. He could have said, I've given you enough time. I'm done with you. But he said, you know what? I see a few of you guys who have not been swayed one way or the other. You're still remaining faithful. Just a few of you in Sardis, that's enough. I, that's all I need. 
So every time he rebukes a church, and even if he rebukes the country, even if he brings judgment on this country or our church, there is still a moment where we can go, are we going to move forward? Are we going to go, are we going to go with like a, like a, uh, uh, an, an animal to tail between the legs and run? No. If we're going to run, we're going to run to Jesus and that's it. We're not going to run away from the Lord. We're going to recognize for what it is that we're not, if the church or our life is not alive, we need to run to Jesus. That's what this whole message is about. Because even if you're dead, you can wake up. Because the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, he's the author of your resurrection. He's the one that raises you up. You don't, I said this earlier, and I really, this is, I put a lot of thought in this idea. How much work did Jesus have to do to be risen from the dead? Zero. He couldn't do anything. He couldn't go, okay, I'm dead, but I'm gonna try hard. Ready? Come on. Come on, body. Oh, I'm alive. No, he did zero. He didn't do anything. How was Jesus raising, raising the dead? The Holy Spirit. How was in, in uh, Ezekiel 37, how were those valley of dry bones? How did they get all that stuff and how were they able to move? Not themselves. The Holy Spirit, the wind, the breath of God. That was the only way. How does the church wake up? Try harder. Nope. Be more holy. Nope. Even though that's, those are good things. Trust me. Like, if I'm sitting there going, Lord, I'm just going to do nothing and I'm just, I'm going to do, I'm going to be impure before you. No. We're assuming that you're wanting to be pure and holy before God. But how does a church truly come alive? Through the power of the Holy Spirit. And you'll be surprised at how many Christians avoid the Holy Spirit like he is bad. We just had a conversation with someone not that long ago. The Holy Spirit's scary. We don't like that. Then you're missing out on everything. You're missing out on the very fact that, G- that the Holy Spirit is the life agent. He's the only one. You can't do it yourself. What are you doing then? What we have is a bunch of powerless churches who are, it's, we rely on our own power and our own wisdom. Look, how much wisdom do we really have? Do we use 10% of our brain? I don't even know if that's true, but that's what they say. I need more than 10% of my brain. Someone that said, one time I said the 10%, and they said, no, you use 100% because you're still alive. I'm like, that's true. Hallelujah, that's a, that's a good point. If I'm breathing, I'm using 100% of my brain. Right? That means I'm a genius, just throwing that out. <clears throat> so, my real burden is not the churches in the United States, even though it does seem like it. When I look at the churches around the world, I get overwhelmed. Where do you begin? How do you, how do you start a revival across the land and across the United States of America? How do you do it? Do you just like announce, you know, dear God, I hope this YouTube video gets a million hits. It won't. A hundred hits on my videos are great. But I want everyone to see this video and that's the way to do it. No. How do you start a revival in the land? It starts with us. It starts with you and me. It starts with you and you, with you and God. If we don't start with us, all we're doing is just declaring that life happens over there, but God doesn't care about here. 
We need to start right here. So that's what we're going to do. My burden is for us. My burden is this. Maybe we don't say we're dead. We don't say my prayer life is dead. But I want to ask you this way. This is just an example. Is your prayer life as alive as it once was or is it dying a little bit? There's a, there's a gauge. Do you, when you open up the Bible, assuming you open the Bible, sometimes I'm like, where's my Bible? Anybody ever missed your Bible? That's not a trick question. Unless you have a spot for your Bible, then you're cheating. You know, where's my Bible? Well, I can write my name on the cover because it's dusty, right? No, but the reality is, when I open up the Bible and read it, how much of my heart is really alive when I'm reading it? How much do I really dig into it or do I just go, oh, oh, okay, this is not what I needed. See, we need to ask those kind of questions because based on our answer, we can see if we slipped, if we've gone backwards a little bit or if we've gone forward. If, and I heard it this way from a pastor, if we're not growing and living and, 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 and going forward with God, we're we're going backwards. We're dying. If you're not going forward, you're dying. Now, I want for a moment just to go back to the beginning of the letter of Sardis. Because Jesus says, dear church, this is the letter from the one. He says, the one with the seven spirits of God. Or in the translation I chose was the sevenfold spirit of God. Now, to be very fair, scholars wrestle with that. They do. You can look at different articles and different books and, and they go different directions. And, and, and in other words, they don't quite know. But there is an agreement on one thing about the seven, what that represents. The, if you take the seven spirits of God and you sum it down to what it really represents, we, we don't need to put any more thought than the fact that it represents the Holy Spirit. Now, what does the word seven, what does the number seven represent in God's kingdom? It's completion, it's, it's fullness, it's, it's perfection. Okay, so if you have the seven spirits of God, that is the Holy Spirit who is perfect. It's, if you have the spirit of God in you, you, you have what you need. You're complete. You're full of God. So if you're lacking that part of your relationship with God where the spirit is in you, but not, you have, he hasn't, he hasn't what I would call baptized you in the spirit, then you're missing something. You don't have the fullness of God. So when we're going through this, I want you to understand, this is the letter from the one who has the spirit of God, the fullness of God, the completion of God. If you have the spirit of God within you, you lack nothing. You lack nothing. But then you look at your life and you're like, I lack all this and that and that. No, you lack nothing. Because if you have the Holy Spirit within you, you have the change agent within you that's changing your life. Now, why do I even mention this? Because if you're dead spiritually, or if any part of your life is dead, the only way to resurrect it is through the Holy Spirit. So there's going to be a moment right now from this in this service where I'm going to invite you to receive the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to say, go home and do that at home. I'm not. I'm going to say, don't wait. Right here, right now, be filled and full of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because some of us, maybe me, I'll go home and I'm going to try it. I'm going to try it on my own power. We're going to rely only on the Holy Spirit and that's it. 
See, Romans 8, 11 says, if you're, if you're one of the ladies in the Bible study, you read this a few weeks ago, or whatever. Go back to what you heard. That's not what I needed. Hold on. There we go. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead, what? Lives in you. And just as, in the same way, as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he's going to give what? Life. Everybody say life. What's the opposite of life? Death. What was Sardis? Dead. What'd they need? Life. How'd they get life? The Spirit of God. Just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. What's the key? The Spirit of God. What's the key? Well, I tell you, it's not trying harder. It's not more focus. It's not more, oh, I'm just going to do my own holiness. It's my own righteousness. No, it's through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, as we close this, I want to give you three ideas, three ways to figure out if you're dead or alive. And we're going to look at the very first three fruits of the Spirit. If you are filled with the Spirit of God, you have these, according to the Bible, you have nine fruits of the Spirit, right? You remember that? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Goodness, whatever, I missed one right there. You got the point. I'm going to go the first three because the first three, all of them are important, but the first three, vital. Vital. Okay? We're going to look at, the first one is love. Everybody say love. Here's a test. Is the love in your life for God and for other people, is it more alive or less alive than you have ever been in your life? For example, when you think of the people that you work with, or you think of the people that you live with, or you think of the people at the grocery store, do you love them more or less than you used to? Do you love God more or less than you used to? Well, pastor, you're being mean. No, these are some questions I've been asking myself for a while now. Like, do I love people because that's what God expects from me? Or is his love so strong in my heart that that's what's coming out of my heart is his love, not my trying, not because I have to. So that's a good question. Do I love God and do I love other people more or less than I used to? See, it's easier, it's easy to look at a church numerically and say, it's a small church, so it's not a, it's not a healthy church. You can look at a huge church and go, it's got to be healthy. I used to think that way. When I was in college, our church was pretty small, but as we started growing, I noticed some things that were not healthy about the church. Because the church, we started trying to impress people. We're doing things to impress people. Side note, they weren't impressed. Because these little things that churches do, that they're fine, uh, they're, they're, they're trends and they're, they're things that just kind of fade away. People need real. People need, people, people on the outside need a church that's real. They're not phony. They need someone that they know they're not perfect, but they're going to a perfect God who's given them life. And God's changing us from the inside out. And sometimes that takes all your whole life, unfortunately. I want him to change my life right now. Like microwave Christianity, it doesn't exist. So love. It's not about the size of the church. 
what is a healthy church? It's all about the state of God's love in that church. In fact, Matthew 24, 12 talks about the end of time. Sin will be rampant everywhere. Pause. Does that sound familiar to you in this culture? Yes. Say yes. Help me here just a little bit. Come on, come on. Sin will be rampant everywhere. And what's the side note to that? And the love of many will grow cold. So in the end times, it's talking about sin being alive and the love of many people. will. Your love can grow cold. It's like, you know, when you're having a, you're having a fire and you're, you're, you're doing, you're roasting hot dogs or my favorite marshmallows. You, you want the flame to go down a little bit and you need those coals. Those are the perfect way to get a brown, brown color marshmallow, not black, brown. I'm looking for any brown. Perfect. That makes it perfect. But then you, you say you go away for a second and the coals are growing kind of cold. You go, oh, I got to have one more. Hold on. This is my seventh s'more. Okay, hold on. You put it on there and it's like not working. Why? Because when coals grow cold, there's no power. There's no work. It doesn't, it doesn't heat anything up. So sin will be rampant everywhere and the love of many will grow cold. It has your love grown cold. Is this important? First Corinthians, for, yeah. blooper reel, okay. First Corinthians 13, we're not going to read it, but it tells us how important that love is. Paul says this, if I die for my faith, if I'm martyred and I don't have love, I've gained nothing. I thought that when you, if you were to die for your faith, that's like the ultimate compliment to God. But if I do that and not, and I don't have love in me, I've gained nothing. You just wasted your life. That's how important this is. If you want to know if you're healthy, if you're alive or you're dead or the church is dead, you got to look at the meter, the love meter. If my love for God is cold and if my, if my love for other people has grown cold, watch out because Jesus might be looking inside of me and saying, you think you're alive, but you're dead. That's the first clue. If I'm alive or dead. How many of you guys feel horrible right now? That's not my goal. My goal is to get you to think a little bit, to, uh, for me to think a little bit. How is everything, do, how is everything going? Okay. Number two, joy. Everybody say joy. Ah, how important is joy? It's vital, just like love. W- what is joy? I made my own definition. You can look in the dictionary. Joel Bremer's definition of what joy really is, is a deep satisfaction in God. You have a completeness in God. You, God shows up in your life and you go, ah, that's exactly where I want to be. It's a deep contentment in God. That's what joy is. It, it, it's not a, it, it can be emotional. It can be like happiness, like you feel good, but it's more than that. It's a deep satisfaction in God. In fact, I'm going to read a verse that you know, you know part of it. Nehemiah 8.10. How many of us can quote Nehemiah 8.10? You'll know it once you see it. I, I had, I was like, oh yeah, that's where that's at. It says, don't be dejected and sad for the joy of the Lord is your, how many guys heard that part? The joy of the Lord is your strength. You've heard that before, even if you didn't know it was from that book. 
Okay, the people in Nehemiah's day were so dejected. Oh, look at the walls. Oh, they're just torn down and they keep attacking. What are we going to do? And Nehemiah goes, stop it. Don't be dejected and sad. Why? For the joy of the, of who? The, the joy of the Lord is your strength. How many guys need more strength? Which churches are represented online or us need more strength? How do you do that? Joy. That's kind of a weird, you would never put the two together. In my, if I were writing the Bible, I never would put the two together. I'd say wisdom is the key to strength. Being smart enough. Being brilliant. No. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Read that and tell me that joy isn't important for every believer. How is your joy? Is there more joy or less joy in your life than there ever has been? John 15, 11. This is huge. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with what? My joy. Whose joy? The joy of Jesus. Where do you find joy? By just being happier. No. By removing obstacles. No. By having more money. No. If I had more money, yeah, sure, I'd be happier. I would be. How's that for honest? Now, I could have less money and I'm still fine. I don't think so. You're human, right? But I'm talking about joy. The joy of the Lord is our strength and that you would be filled with his joy. Yes, your joy will trickle in. No, overflow. So whose joy? Jesus' joy. The joy of the Lord. And last, peace. Are you more peaceful in your spirit, in your heart, in your mind than you ever have been or more or, or less? Man, I had to really challenge myself this one. It is so easy, and the devil's a liar. If, if, if you keep your eyes fixed on the condition of the world, you won't have any peace. But if you keep your eyes fixed on Christ, he goes, he gives you a peace that goes beyond all human understanding. You're a person that's peaceful in this kind of condition of our culture. It doesn't make sense. Like, what kind of crazy lunatic are you? Like, you saw peace? I've met a few people in my life that were going through horrible situations, cancers and deaths in the family, and they still had peace. What kind of crazy person has that? Hmm. Someone that's deep in the Lord. That is what Jesus wants for you. He wants you to grow in love. He wants you to grow in joy. And he wants you to grow in peace and the rest of the fruits of the Spirit. The only way you can get those, by the way, who? The Holy Spirit. Now, as we close, I want you to come up there. I want to read one more passage of Scripture. This is where the rubber meets the road, church. It's easy for me to say, oh, you can do this at home. But do or die. Right? According to Jesus right here in this letter, he said, strengthen what remains for what remains is almost dead. We don't know how long they had. Ezekiel 37, I've been mentioning it all service. He has this vision, and it's not physical, it's a, it's a condition of Israel's heart, 
thus the condition of the church's heart. I spoke the message as he commanded me, and what? Breath, pneuma. Breath literally means spirit. Holy Spirit. So I spoke the message as God commanded me, and the Spirit of God came into their bodies. They all came to life and stood up on their feet. A great army. Lydia's going to lead us in a song. The most important thing is not that you sing the words. In fact, I'm not going to have it on the screen. The most important thing right now is between you and God. Cry out to God. More Holy Spirit. More Holy Spirit. Breathe life into our dead bodies, into our dead churches around the nation, Lord. We need your Holy Spirit. I need you, Lord.